Well, if you're a guest with us, my name's Aaron, and I'm one of the pastors here, and we're really are genuinely excited that you're with us this morning. And this morning we're continuing a conversation we've been in uh, in a series called Tribe. And in the series we're talking about what it looks like to be a tribe oriented around Jesus, because for many of us we have previous experiences, not all of us, but many of us, in other tribes of faith like this, and some of those experiences were really good, some of them were really not so good. Um, not every tribe is healthy. And so for us, that's, that's the conversation we're having. What does it look like to be a healthy Jesus tribe? And so this morning, I want to talk about prayer. I want to talk about what it means to be a tribe that prays. And it's, it's funny, whenever I say that, like, watching your faces, I don't see anybody, like, lean in, like, yeah, prayer, we're going there, finally, you know, like, nobody responds that way. You know, and the funny thing is, is like when it comes to prayer, like if you have any past church experience, right, we all know that we're supposed to pray. Right? Even if you have no past church experience, I bet you hypothetically know that if you were to buy into church and if you were to ever believe in God, that prayer would probably be a part of that equation. Right? So it's, it's interesting, this whole prayer thing, because we know that we should, but it seems like we all feel guilty for not doing it more than we do. Right? We, all feel, we all know that it's something that should be more, maybe a more regular part of our lives, but we feel heavy and maybe frustrated that we don't do it more than we do, uh, which is interesting. And, and I want to lean into this a little bit because I think this in and of itself oftentimes proves to be, in and of itself, a barrier to actually coming before God in prayer and experiencing both His presence in our lives and His blessing in our lives because of this impending kind of frustration and guilt that we have. And depending on your personality, depending on your story uh, in the past, like you might respond to this a couple different ways. And for some of us, we kind of, I think, overcompensate when we actually do pray, right? So sometimes we overcompensate with length, you know? It's like there's this idea that we have to, we have to log a certain amount of time with our prayers for them to actually count. And it's funny because I'm a dad, and our, my youngest daughter, Chloe, is four years old, and she already feels this. Like, she feels like there's, like, a, a minimum amount of length that she needs to go in her prayers or it, like, doesn't count or something. And I know this because every night she says, like, the same thing, and she will just repeat it until she hits her quota, and then she'll close it out with an amen. And so the other, the other night was, was awesome. She literally stretched out like six to eight words for a solid two minutes. And she just kept saying the same thing in different ways. And so she, she starts and she's like, Dear Jesus, I want to thank you for everything that you've given us. And for all the things that you give, I want to say thanks. <laughs> and you giving them to us every week. Thank you for that. Please give them all of it, the things you give to us. And she's literally, I mean, it, after like 30 seconds, I picked up on what she was doing, and I was like, I'm just going to see how long she goes. She went for a solid two minutes and then closed it out with an amen. And I was dying. I was like, that was awesome. Right? And some of us, like, it seems like we feel that way. It's like we got to log so much time. You know, it's like binge praying. Like we're making up for not praying more by actually just going longer when we do pray. Right? Or for some of us, it seems like we overcompensate by like, preserving the theological purity of our prayers. Or for the prayers like around us. So if you've ever been like in a circle where people are praying for one another, maybe in a small group or something like that, or a part of a team, and people start praying against one another, or like correcting each other's prayers. Have you ever seen this? Right? So one of them, you know, like the Calvinist in the group, you know, is like, Oh, sovereign God, thank you 
like for choosing us before the foundations of the earth were laid, for predestining that we would be sons and daughters of yours, you know? And then the Arminian in the group is like, well, I thank you for predestining that I have a choice of whether or not I will be your son or your daughter. Thank you, Jesus. You know, and they just start going back and forth, you know? And the Calvinists, well, but we know, Father, that the real truth is that the Holy Spirit initiates salvation. So it's really not our choice at all. It's your choice. Thank you for that. And it's just like, this is like a pissing contest, you know, in a prayer circle. It's like, knock it off, you know? Like, you're not impressing God. I can tell you that much right now, you know? Um, you know, or for some of us, it's just like with our vocabulary. It's like, if we can just log so many, like, impressive theological words, like, God will be impressed, you know? And so we just thank you, Sovereign Lord, for sanctifying us in your grace. So omnipresent and omniscient and omnipotent. So many omnis you are, God. You know, it's just like, God, I don't think God's impressed, you know? And so for some of us, I think we do overcompensate sometimes. But for more of us, I think more often than not, we just actually stop praying altogether. You know, maybe every now and then we'll throw something up, but... But the very fact that we don't pray as much as we feel like we should becomes the very reason that we don't come to God in prayer. Because we have like this thing on our shoulder, right? We feel like we're not measuring up. You know, and in some, in some ways it really makes sense. Because it's the same thing like we do in our interpersonal relationships with one another. So if you and I have beef, and we have unresolved conflict, and we've had words, and that has not been resolved, like what do we generally do with one another? We avoid one another, right? Like, we just kind of don't go there. It's like either we're going to fight right now or we just, you know, kind of avoid one another. I see this as a pastor. Every now and then, people have, like, a fallout, and they switch services so they're not coming at the same time, and people start leaving early and coming late so they don't run into each other. And I think sometimes we do this with God as well. You know, like, God is just up there with this big report card, and he knows how you're doing. And every time you come to him in prayer, he's like, listen, brah, you're scoring like a D right now, and that's pretty generous. You know, you're like two 60-second lunch prayers away from an F. So step up your game, you know? And when you, when you experience God like that, when that's the God that you picture in your mind when you come to him in prayer, right, inevitably what ends up happening is you're going to avoid him. You know, and for some of you, that was and maybe is your relationship with your earthly dad. Right, and you grew up with a dad who was perpetually disappointed in you. And for some of us, it's the reason that we don't really have a relationship with our dad anymore. Right? And we just project that same thing sometimes onto God. And so let me just, just ask you a question before we go any further. Like for you how, do you, how do you feel, like how do you think God feels about you? Like really? Like when you come to him in prayer, what's his posture towards you? Is it as a perpetually disappointed heavenly dad? who just cannot figure out how you haven't figured this out yet, who just, just bummed, just disappointed. I'm so disappointed in you. Right? It was like the worst thing you know, a parent can say to a kid. I'm so disappointed in you. Is that how you feel like God feels about you? Or is it as a dad who just is crazy about his kids, who loves to dote on his kids, who is so proud of you, who actually likes you? Because I'm telling you, the answer to that question changes everything. It changes everything, and not the least of which it changes how you pray. How do you picture that God feels about you? Right, I want to begin in, in Matthew chapter, um, chapter 11, and we're going to end in Luke chapter 18, but I want to take a brief pit stop here in Matthew 11. Right, this is such a, a beautiful, powerful passage, and I just want you to listen to this and sit on this. These, this is Jesus speaking. He says, come to me. 
All you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Right, just sit on that for a moment. Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. I, I want you to just think for a moment about what Jesus' words here presume about those who would come after him, about you and me. Because definitely what it does not assume is that you and I are always going to get this right. right? That, that the faithfulness is ultimately on you, and, and if this is hard, and if you're struggling, and if you're not killing it from a prayer perspective or any other area of your faith, then something's wrong with you. You're doing it wrong. In fact, it seems that he's assuming quite the opposite. In fact, it seems like he's assuming this is definitely going to be hard. And you are definitely going to drop the ball. Right? And you are definitely going to find yourself at times when you're exhausted. And this life, or maybe even just trying to walk in faith, is going to feel like this tremendous burden on your back. Because you're going to be, and you're going to be failing. And you're going to feel like you're failing. You're going to know it. I'm going to know it. And yet he says, come. Come to me. Is your life a train wreck? Come to me. Right? Are you feeling exhausted and heavy and just down? Come to me. Feeling burned out? Frustrated? Angry? All the above? He says, come to me. And not, and I will judge you. Right? And I will give you the beat down that has been a long time coming. Right? We'll put you on a 90-day probation period, and then you can show me that you can walk in faithfulness and begin to earn back my good graces. I'm going to show you how to actually earn back my favor. Right? No. It doesn't say any of that. He says, come to me, those who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Which is so huge. All right, so, so just sit here with me for a moment. If in Jesus we see God as he really is, which is what the scriptures testify to, if Jesus gives us the clearest possible picture of what God is really like, then what does this suggest about the character of God? What does this suggest about how God feels for his children, particularly when they're struggling? Right, because if you can wrap your mind and your heart around that, if you can take that truth and put it in here, it, it will change everything. Right, as part of my role and my job, what I do, is I, I get to do a fair bit of traveling. And, um, and one of my favorite moments has become when I come home and walk through the door and when I open up that door, I hear two little voices shout out, Daddy! And they come running, you know, I hear their little footsteps from wherever they are in the house, and they just cling to my legs, and I pick them up, and, and it's one of my favorite moments. When I'm driving, when I was just in the Twin Cities like two weeks ago, and it was the moment that I was looking forward to the most. Like, I was just thinking about it all seven hours on the road. And sure enough, I got home, swung open that door, I hear them shout my name and come running, and I pick them up, and they're just like a mile a minute, you know, just brrrr, like telling me every little thing that I missed, you know, and Paige is just dying to tell me about how Clem asked her to marry him again, you know, at school, and how she told him that he needs to ask dad again, and that dad is going to say no until he loves Jesus, has a job, and is at least 34, right, and... <laughs> And Chloe is like, t wants to tell me, you know, uh, how Jackson peed on mom again when she was giving him a bath and how she laughed so hard that milk came out her nose, you know. And like, they just want to tell me everything that I missed. You know, like, I can't even get them to, to shut up, right? And, and I love that. I love that about them. It's my favorite moment coming home. 
And here's the thing. Paige and Chloe are relatively young. I love being their dad. They're seven and four. But there has not been a single day in their short lives where they have lived up to what we have asked them to do. Like, in fact, I don't think there has been a two-hour stretch in their lives where they have not talked back or whined or just straight-up disobeyed what we asked them to do, right? And, and yet, when Dad walks in the room, they tackle me. You know, in fact, after church, if you ever watch, like, I'll be over at the Begin Tent, and oftentimes they will come sprinting and shout out my name from across the lobby and run to me and tackle me because it's the first time they've seen me in the morning. Right? They still want to... They want to cuddle and talk and sit down and watch Frozen for the four billionth time, you know. And they want to come with me for ten minutes to the grocery store to get bananas, you know, if it means ten minutes with Dad. Even though Dad has his moments where I lose my temper and moments when I need 15 minutes to take the garbage can from the garage to the street so I can have a moment of quiet, you know. Like, even with all their moments and even with my moments, I would suggest to you the reason they still want to talk and they still want to cuddle and they still want to play is because they know their dad is crazy about them. They know that I genuinely delight in them. How hard is it for you to believe that that is exactly how God feels for you? Only to the infinite multiplication. Right, is that your picture of God and when you come to him in prayer. Because if it is, it will change everything. Right? But if the picture in your mind is always of a God that is perpetually disappointed, right, nothing will change. Do you believe that God loves you? And I don't mean loves, you know, us in this generic sense. I mean you, like right here, right now. And I don't mean you 10 years from now. Because I know God loves the you 10 years from now. Because 10 years from now, you're awesome. Right? Ten years from now, you don't struggle with any of the things that you struggle with right now. Like ten years from now, you're so faithful. You pray all the time. You've got the Torah memorized. You know, you are a passionate evangelist on the streets of Lincoln. Ten years from now, you're legit. I get it. But what about right now? With all your flaws and imperfections, do you really believe that God is crazy about you? That he not only loves you, that he likes you. Can you believe that? Right? Jesus says to us, come to me. You're weary, you're burdened, you're a train wreck, you suck at life some days, incredibly unfaithful in others, and still he says, come. Come to me, those of you who are weary, and you're burdened, and you fall short, and I will give you rest. Right, guys, we can never let our own unfaithfulness be the very thing that keeps us from prayer. There's such a sad irony in that. Right? Jesus says, come. Jesus, you know, knew that you would actually fall short a lot. It's actually the reason that he came. And still he says, come. And the amazing thing is, is his invitation does not stop there. Right? So this morning I want to land the plane in Luke 18. And this passage actually needs a little explaining. It's very straightforward. You don't need a seminary degree or a commentary or you don't need to know Greek or Hebrew. In fact, when we begin here, the very first verse is going to tell us exactly why he's telling this parable. Luke 18, verse 1. One day Jesus told his disciples a story to show that they should always pray and never give up. There you have it. Spoiler alert. That's where he's going. But then he proceeds to tell the parable anyway. He says this. He says, There was a judge in a certain city who neither, neither feared God nor did he care about people. All right, this is a hard dude. 
cold-blooded, does not care about God, does not give a rip about anybody else, and he's a powerful man, all right? So you get the picture. Uh, we've got a few of those in uh, human history and ruling right now. So he's a powerful man, doesn't care. But verse 3, we're given another character. There's a widow of that city who came to him repeatedly. All right, so we get this contrast of two very, very different people. One guy who's on top of the power structure. What he says goes. Right? He gets to rule what is just and what is unjust, what is legal and illegal. Whatever he says is right, is right. And whatever he says is wrong, is wrong. And then you have a widow. Right? And for those of you who are maybe a guest or not, just not familiar with the world of the Bible, right? at this particular time in human history, on this particular uh, part of the world, uh, women were not valued as they should be. Right? They could not be received formal education. They generally could not work outside of the home. In order for a woman to survive, she would, she would have to essentially attach herself to a man. That was the only way for survival. So when the husband, when a husband would die, it put his wife, his widow, in a very, very desperate place. A very, very vulnerable place. All right, so we're given two very different characters. You've got one guy on top of the power structure who's making the calls. And then you've got this gal who has no power whatsoever. Her survival is really at stake. So you've got kind of like a lion and a gnat. It's kind of from a power perspective. Right? And it tells us that she came to him repeatedly saying, give me justice in this dispute with my enemy. And the judge ignored her for a while. But finally, right? finally after what? Finally after she would not leave him alone and she kept coming after him with her request, finally he said to himself, okay, I don't fear God or care about people, but this woman is driving me crazy. I'm going to see that she gets justice. Why? I love this. Because she is wearing me out with her constant requests. And then Jesus says this. Learn a lesson from this unjust judge. For even he rendered a just decision in the end. So don't you think that God will surely give justice to his chosen people who cry out to him day and night? Right? Will he keep putting them off? Right? Did you catch that? Right? So Jesus is saying, look, unjust judge, doesn't care about God, doesn't care about people, but even just because this widow kept coming to him and badgering him with her requests, he gives a just verdict. And he says, even if he, now consider God, who is nothing like that unjust judge, who is a righteous judge, a loving father, right, the God who we see in the flesh who says, hey, your life's a train wreck, you're really bad at this, you lack faithfulness, you're exhausted and tired and burdened, come to me and I will give you rest. That God, if, if, if the unjust judge can issue justice and will say yes simply for that badgering, imagine what a heavenly father who is crazy about you, who loves you, who loves his children and loves to dote on his children and say yes. Imagine what it's like coming before him with your requests and saying, Lord, will you give this to me? Lord, will you do this to me, for me? All right, it's, it's, it's huge. He says, won't that God surely give justice to his chosen people who cry out to him day and night? Will he keep putting them off? And then he says in verse 8, no, I tell you, he will grant them justice, and he will do it quickly. Right? And so Jesus gives an invitation that no earthly father gives. And he literally says, pester me, badger me, right? don't take no for an answer. Keep on asking, keep on asking, because I want to say yes. It just may not be time. See what happens when you just faithfully keep coming to me in prayer and asking for what you need. 
right? As earthly fathers, we don't do that. There's no way. There are some days when Megan and I are hiding in the bathroom because we have told those girls so many times to stop asking the same freaking question, right? We'll be driving down the road, and it's like, we're not going to the mall. We're not going to, no. It doesn't matter how many times you ask, no. Like, at this point, it's just a matter of principle. Maybe we would go to the mall. But you've asked so many times, we're not going to the mall now. You know, it's just like, stop asking, you know, and eventually it's just like, we're just going to go hide in the bathroom. Just hide. They're not going to give it up. Right? And Jesus says, no, that, that's not how God is. God actually says, badger me. Pester me. I'm a good judge, unlike the unrighteous judge. I'm a good father, unlike you, Aaron, some days. I love my kids unconditionally, and I love to say yes to my kids. So keep asking. Keep asking and see what I do. There's a little kind of addendum to this parable where Jesus has one final statement for us that kind of rings like a dissonant chord. And after encouraging us, you know, to come before him with our requests and just keep on asking, he says these words at the very end. He says, but when the Son of Man returns, how many will he find on the earth who have faith? When I return, how many people will I find who have faith? Now, why in the world would he say that? If you remember at the very beginning, when Jesus, when it was shared with us why Jesus tells this parable in the first place, he says, Jesus told them a parable to encourage them to always pray and never give up. The ESV tries to get a little bit deeper and put their finger on why we would give up. And the ESV translates, it says, Jesus told them this parable to encourage them to to always pray and to never lose heart. To never lose heart. You know, if we had a couple hours, maybe a few hours, and we could just pass the microphone around to share some stories, I bet most all of us in this room could share stories of times when we went to God passionately in prayer, and we begged Him to give us this thing that we needed. And he didn't come through for us. And it made zero sense. You know, I know for me, like, there have been times when I have gone to God passionately in prayer, and he has said yes. And then there have been other scenarios when I've done the exact same thing, just a different scenario, and he said no. And there's no way of making sense of it. There's no correlation. I wanted them both equally. I asked for them both passionately. And he said yes sometimes, and no sometimes. And I think in this moment, Jesus is, is, is letting us in on some, some deep waters, right, to steal words from Matt Chandler. Right, some deep theological waters uh, of truth as it relates to being followers of Jesus. And that is that there are going to be times when the yes or the no are not going to make any sense. Right, when we're going to ask, and we're going to ask, and we're going to ask, and the answer we're waiting for just does not come Right? And Jesus says, I wonder, when I step into that, when I come back, how many I will find that are still in faith asking me and waiting. You know, and, and I don't know a whole lot, but I do know that there are going to be times in the future where, where it's just not going to make sense. Right? God's answer to us is not going to make sense. You know, Paige, I don't know, I think this is maybe a genetic disposition, but our daughter Paige, she, she loves, like, creepy, scary shows and movies. Um, Megan and I both love horror movies. Um, I don't know what that is, but we do. 
And Paige does, like, love scary shows, too. So, like, Goosebumps just emerged on Netflix, and she was, she's living the dream right now because Goosebumps is on there, and I grew up with Goosebumps, and so she loves it. But she will, she's always asking us to watch, like, horror movies, and we're like, no, you cannot watch Children of the Corn. You know, like, I remember watching Child's Play when I was, like, seven years old, like, her age, and I had nightmares for, like, three years, you know? And so she asked me the other day, she, she asked if she could watch The Walking Dead with us. And, uh, you know, <laughs> yeah. and my little seven-year-old, you know, and I love The Walking Dead, but, man, they love, like, the shock factor. You know, like, there's some deaths by zombies that are so over the top. It's like, that was not necessary at all, you know? And, and so, like, as her dad, if I want her to have nightmares for every night into the foreseeable future, yeah, watch Walking Dead with mom and dad. It'll be a good bonding time. But as her dad, as her dad, like, I, I see things that she can't see. And, and I know things that at this point in her life, like, she doesn't know. And I understand things that she, at this point in her life, just can't understand. You know, and, and part of her finding peace as a seven-year-old is going to have to be leveling with the fact that sometimes dad is going to say no, and it's not going to make sense. Right? And, and so for us, that's going to be the challenge here. Because we've all been there. And I don't know a whole lot, but I do know that you'll be there again. And yet Jesus' invitation stands. Right? He says, first of all, those of you who are weary and burdened, come to me and I will embrace you and give you rest and grace and love and life. Come to me no matter where you're at. And by the way, when you come, come to me in prayer and just keep on asking and keep on asking and keep on asking, knowing that I am a righteous judge and a loving father and I love to say yes to my kids. Right? And so the challenge for us and the challenge for you is, is will you keep asking? Right? And the challenge for us as a community of faith, as a tribe, is will we keep asking and keep asking and keep asking? Because I'll tell you this, right? the, the tribe that runs to the arms of Jesus repeatedly is going to be a tribe that will be characterized by rest and grace and life. That will not be a tribe that is characterized by things like guilt and shame. It's no way. Wherever you find a tribe like that, that is not a tribe that is running back to Jesus. Because Jesus does not offer guilt and shame. He offers grace and life. He offers rest. And wherever you find a tribe that runs to Jesus repeatedly and just keeps on asking and keeps on asking and keeps on asking, I'm telling you, not every time, but oftentimes, that's going to be a tribe that is going to hear over and over and over God's yes. You know, if you rewind the clock back just a few years, right? we as a tribe... We're about 15 people meeting in a basement. And we were praying together. We were coming before God together, and we were praying. We were praying for you. We were praying that Jesus would be faithful to build his church. And we were praying that God would raise up a community within our city that would be characterized by God's grace, where people could find Jesus. Right? And we didn't know how it was going to happen, but man, we prayed. Right now you fast forward the clock four years, and here we are <laughs> You know, a community of faith that's about 400 people on a weekend. Right? And just a fun little church fact for you, which most of you won't care about, but I do, because um, I'm a pastor. I'm a geek like that. But the average size church in the U.S., actually, I'll just say this. 90% of churches in the U.S. are less than 350 people. 90%. Right? So for us as a church, we're in the top, whatever, less than 10% of churches size-wise. Now, that was never the goal, and numbers aren't anything, but I just, or aren't everything, but I share that just to say, like, that's flat-out amazing. 
Right, that prayer is a prayer that God has been answering for the last four years. Right, and as we were in that basement, we prayed that God, that we would be the kind of community where people could find Jesus because we believe that finding Jesus is what matters most and that if people don't find Jesus, none of this matters. Right, and over the last few, four years, right, we've seen over 100 people come to find Jesus for the first time through this community of faith and many more who had been running headlong the other direction find Jesus once again. We can't do that in a single life. Only God can do that. And God's been answering that question over and over and over. Right, for us as a community of faith, when we were in that living room, we had no money, no denomination with deep pockets, no sugar daddies to flip the bill, nada. We had no idea how it was going to happen. Right, and while things have been tight, God has been incredibly faithful, and we have never lacked for anything. Right, but when we were in that basement, we also prayed something else, and this one's a little bit more bold. We prayed that God would make us a multiplying church. Right? And we prayed that because, for us, we believe that we need all kinds of churches to reach all kinds of different people. This particular expression of Jesus' tribe is only going to appeal to a certain group of people. We need more. Our city is too big, the need is too great for us to just grow a single community of faith. Right? If someday we grew to the, fat, like, to the point where we like doubled Brian's size, 10,000 people, you know, like that's not the goal, by the way, but let's just say, biggest steeple in town, boom. 10,000 people is a small fraction of our city. It's a teeny fraction, right? So we recognize, you know what, we need to be a multiplying church. We need to pray that God would raise up church planners from within our midst and others who God would bring to Lincoln so that we can send and support so that they can go to other areas of our city and reach people for Jesus. Right, and we also pray that God would allow us to multiply, that he would open up doors for us to multiply campuses. Right, and that seems to be a prayer that maybe, just maybe, God is answering right now. Right, and so we've got a couple things coming down the chute that I just want to share with you this morning. And one of those is that, you know, I shared last week uh, that we're preparing to launch a campus, a church campus down at the Bay, which is a skate park down on 20th and Y in North Lincoln. And really cool story how it, how it happened. They approached us. They said, we love Mosaic. We have so many needs. Please come start something here. And it just feels like God is opening that door wide open. And we have every intention of stepping through it. At this point, we're getting ready and we're waiting for, to, for them to build out the second half of their warehouse. All right, so that is coming. But I also shared with you that financially, the ironic part about this, the, the rub, the tension, is that financially, like, we're really tight as a church. In fact, we're going, uh, we're in the red uh, right now. You know, and so there's this, this tendency to kind of turn inward. But the weird thing is, is like as a leadership team, we all feel like the bay is it, and it is time, and we're moving forward, and we don't know how it's going to go. So in the midst of this, a couple different things happened. First of all, uh, a church very close to here in this area of town approached us, and they said, hey, we're evacuating our building for a year. If you want it for free for a year, it's yours. Uh, let me pray about that. You know, um, <laughs> you know like... Amazing, you know, and you just got to know, like, we pay like $4,000 a month to be here. So that's like $50,000 a year. It's a, it's a chunk of change, right? And, and, and where we're at right now, we can't afford to stay here, which honestly is okay. Because, you know, this has been a great season. We've grown. We've taken a number of our ministries to a whole new level. But to say that we are thrilled and this place is ideal <laughs> would be a lie, right? I mean, like, the sound guys have to be ninjas, right? You guys are amazing to make it sound half decent in a gymnasium. Like, they're just... I don't know how you do it, honestly, but they do it. But to say that's ideal, no way. Like, I, I praise Jesus when it's cloudy and raining outside because it's actually kind of dark in here, you know? Normally it's like this. 
and it's just naked. You know, like, it's just, we're all exposed. You can see everything that's going on. It's so, like, distracting. Like, when somebody gets up and leaves or spills coffee or drops drinks, and it's just, like, every little movement, you know, it's, like, takes so much work to, to focus, you know. And fortunately, we've still been growing, which is amazing, you know, and God's been incredibly good, but, but we're open to leaving, and then God just it feels like he just opened this huge door to actually flip our financial position, like, overnight. Pretty amazing. Right, but the thing about that space is it's actually too small for us. So we couldn't move everybody in there without doing, like, three services, which, if that's what we got to do, that's great. But another thing dropped in our lap in this process. And uh, this morning, um, River Tree Church, which is a church that my dad and I planted together downtown 10 years ago, uh, my dad is announcing to River Tree Church that he's leaving uh, River Tree and moving to Sioux Falls, South Dakota, um, to be a part of a church that my uncle planted there. A lot of Loy pastors. I don't know what it is. Um, but it's blowing up. They're doing great things, and he's going to join staff up there. And in the process of this, River Tree has approached us as a church um, and said, we love Mosaic and we would love it if you would adopt us as a campus and help us actually become a Mosaic campus downtown, which is awesome in some ways. You know, it's really cool. But the other part of me is like, oh, my goodness, really? Because right now, the way things are going, we're praying about possibly it's feasible that we could be a church with three campuses in less than a year, which is amazing, but also a little nerve-wracking, you know? And so this is like an ongoing conversation that we're having. We're asking... A, a lot of questions right now. We haven't committed to it, um, but we're asking a lot of questions like, can we do this? You know, should we do this? If we do do this, what's the best way to go about doing this um, strategically and discipleship-wise and all of those things? But I'll tell you, we're also asking that, may, you know, whether maybe, just maybe, God is answering some prayers that we've been praying for a very long time in a way that we never could have orchestrated and never could have foreseen. Right, because we've been praying, God, open up doors for us to multiply what you're doing through this church around our city. In the process, the Bay approaches us and says, we love what you guys are about. We have a lot of needs and ministry opportunities. Please come start something here. River Tree Church approaches us, right, and says, hey, our founding pastor's about to leave. We're starting a new chapter as a church, and we would love for you to adopt us and become a part of uh, Mosaic and the Mosaic family. Right? And at a time when things are financially tight, it might actually, you know, tempt us to play it safe and to say no to these opportunities because things are tight. Another church approaches us and says, hey, hey, by the way, our building is going to be available to you for free if you want it. Right? And I should also note that in the basement, ever since we started, we've been praying that God would allow us to multiply specifically in two places first. North Lincoln and downtown Lincoln. The bay is in North Lincoln. River Tree Church is at the Grand Manse in downtown Lincoln. Now, I don't know. It totally could be a coincidence. I'm open to that. Or it could be possible that God is doing something amazing in our midst. All right, so all that to say, we need you to pray with us. Because uh, this is way over our heads. And I don't know if we're going to walk through these doors, but we're sure praying about it. And we're sure pumped about it. And so we need you to pray that God would give us wisdom and discernment that he would give us all of the resources we need to accomplish his vision for our church and our city. Uh, we need you. And, and I will end with this, all right? So regardless of where you are this morning, regardless of whether or not you pray with us or whether you're a part of Mosaic or not, wherever you find yourself, please, you've got to know, as you come to God in prayer, that God delights in you. He is a heavenly Father that is crazy about you. And not the you version that's 10 years from now, but you 
right now. He loves you. He likes you. He pursues you relentlessly with his grace. So please, on behalf of God, I think I can say this. Stop beating the trash out of yourself before him in prayer. Before you come to him in prayer. And please, please, please stop beating the trash out of yourself on behalf of God. Because that is the antithesis of the gospel. That is the opposite of the gospel. The gospel is that you are so much worse than you think and so much more loved than you could ever dream. So stop beating yourself up. Know that God is a loving Father who is crazy about you, who wants to say yes, that he loves you not for anything that you do or don't do, but only grace. Right? Ephesians 2.8 says this, it's by grace that you've been saved. By grace. Period. It's by grace that you can come before God. Just grace. Period. It's by grace that he hears our prayers. Just grace. It's by grace that God says yes, and it's by grace that God says no. As a loving father, as a righteous judge, who loves you. And so rest in knowing that he's got your back, that he cares, that he's listening, that yes or no, he's got your best intentions in mind, and that he still invites you to keep on asking. Let me pray for you. Lord God, as we get ready to come before you in prayer, I recognize that these are just words if you don't do a work in our heart. And Lord God, in a room this size, I know that there are people that are listening to this who come before you and they do not see a loving father. But they see a father who is perpetually disappointed, who cannot get over why they can't figure this out and get it right. And so, Lord God, I ask that you would just put your finger on that and expose that for what it is, and that is a lie. That is not reflective of you. That is not reflective of Jesus, who reveals what you are really like. Lord God, we just confess before you that so often we project onto you our own self-hatred, assuming that you feel about us like we feel about us. Lord, that's not true. And for those in this room who struggle to believe that, I ask that you would just penetrate their heart and show them that that is not true. That you love them. That your son marched to the cross knowing that we would fall short. In fact, that's what created the need for him to do just that. So he knew it was coming. And yet he says, come. Come to me. Is your life a train wreck? Come to me. Are you exhausted and burned out? Come to me. Are you disappointed with your life? Are you disappointed in God? Come to me. And I will give you not condemnation, not judgment, not a beat down, not a probation period to get it right. I will give you rest. So, Lord, we come before you now as your imperfect kids. We pray these things in your name. Amen. Would you go ahead and stand? We're going to close and worship together.